0: It's a long psalm. What do you suppose that psalm's about? Anybody want to venture a guess? Daniel,
1: uh, Jesus bearing or interceding at the throne, taking our stripes uh, for us—that he's the he is the um, sacrifice once and for all. It's it's good. Is finished that he's there and all this uh, the iniquity and not removing his steadfast love from the from the David's children is basically from us that he won't even though we
0: sin he won't remove his covenant from us because he's never gonna change and he promised that through David Jesus Yep. Make us from. so so we read um based upon our understanding of. <laughs> A more complete revelation, a revelation in Jesus Christ, uh, revelation in Jesus the Christ that he fulfills that uh, promise that was made to David, that there would be uh, an enduring generation, there would be an enduring um, king or ruler, and that that promise will not be withdrawn. So we understand our theology informs us when we read a psalm like this. So this was written by one who um, didn't have that full revelation. It was written before (coughs) Christ came. And yet we see that God guided the the psalmist in helping us to more fully understand later revelation. So Ethan, who wrote this, how much, how much time after David? So when do you think this was written? I think it was after David. Yeah, it was after David. So David had come and gone, and the time of the kings had come and gone. And I say that because uh, you read from verse 38 about the uh, the affliction that the... Hebrew nation went through, specifically the tribe of Judah. So when was Judah oppressed and and crushed like this, where God's wrath was poured out on them, where the walls were broken down and the stronghold holes were in ruin and the the power of the sword that David brought <clears throat> had no no strength. When they were taken away? Pardon? When they taken away. Right. So this would have been um, pardon 586 BC yep so this would have been in the captivity and the question is where are you God Mm -hmm. right and yet he concludes that he says you know where is your loving kindness where is that faithfulness you swore to uh, to David remember O Lord the reproach of your servants how I bear in my bosom the reproach of all the many peoples with which your enemies have reproached, O Lord, with which they have reproached the footsteps of your anointed. Right? So there's this promise that was given and he's asking, it sure doesn't look like that promise is going to be delivered. But he concludes, blessed be the Lord forever. God made a promise. He's good for his word. Right? So this was a pretty bad, pretty dark hour. In their in their nation, and yet they could hold on to the promise of God, and that's what theology is about. Right? It's the study of God. I mean, if you take the word itself, um, theology proper is understanding God, His person, His character, nature, His purpose, that which His work uh, is about, um, and understanding who we are in relation to God. We want to understand that as well, and we want to um, join with him in life and not choose death, right? I mean, that's, that's the story of the Bible, and so your, your theology informs how you read a psalm like this and how you might write your own psalm today, and that's a good exercise, by the way. Everybody should write a psalm. I'm not giving that as homework. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I did. When I was in seminary, I had a couple of professors that actually asked us to write Psalms. Because it's a, a good exercise. And um, so, what the Psalms are, we call it the wisdom literature. And uh, I, I observe that there are two perspectives. Um, that we can approach the Bible with. One is what I call a prophetic perspective. So it's God um, speaking to humanity, and that's what we would understand as special revelation. Um, And then there's the response to that revelation, and that's what we would call wisdom literature. So you have the, the prophetic perspective and the wisdom perspective, and the Psalms is the wisdom perspective. So it's the cry of the heart back to God based upon the revelation that we have in our life of him. That's why writing a psalm is a good thing. One thing, it helps you to understand what you really believe. And I think that that's really important, uh, to know what you really believe. You know, not just what you say with your mouth, but the way that you actually live your life. And that's what we're studying this morning. We're not actually studying... Uh, the psalm, and Karen said, don't dwell on the psalm, get to the get to the passage. <laughs> <laughs> a quick question on the psalm. Pardon? Pardon? A quick question. The uh, sure. author, <laughs> uh, when he says, hold, you spoke in a vision to your godly one, is he referring to Samuel? And he said, I have granted the help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one, chosen from the people. I found David in my survey. Uh, uh, take take me to verse so I can pull it in full 19, context. 19. Verse 19. Okay. <clears throat> Uh, it's it's probably more than just Samuel um, so who is the uh, the utterance about David given to in this in here is godly ones okay. uh, well that would be plural so in 19 your godly ones oh, I just said one. yeah there's a you probably have a margin note some manuscripts read one um and that it wasn't uh, the majority of manuscripts that read one. So there's a, this is where you have a textual variant. So we understand that even though God's word is, is inspired and perfect uh, in its original autograph, in other words, as it was penned by the human author uh, through the spirit of God working in that author's life to give us a perfect um thematically related revelation of God. So God is really the author in that sense, right? Even though it's through many different humans. Um, there are times when through transcription you introduce um, errors. And so that's that's one kind of error, a transcription error. Um, or it can be an interpretive type error where somebody, as a result of their um, their theology read something in and they make either a margin note, an explanation or something like that. In this case it's probably a transcription error where um, it went from the plural to a singular in some manuscripts and so we call that a textual variant and the majority of manuscripts in this particular instance are not in favor of a singular. They're in favor of plural. That's why uh, probably you're reading an ESV correct? Yeah. So that's uh, I'm surprised that DSB would have that, but um, anyway, it probably has a margin note. You have a margin note on that? Yeah, it does. Okay. So it could be a single prophet. It could be the voice, the prophetic voice. Um, but what we understand is that there are those that have brought that prophetic utterance to man, and there it was a specific prophet that came to David. Uh, when you read in Second Samuel chapter 7 that brought this prophetic message to David that there would be one that sat on the throne of David that would be an eternal king. In other words, from the line of David, uh, from Judah, be born in Bethlehem would be the eternal king, would be the son of man. So it, it doesn't, because there's a textual variant there, it doesn't take away from that truth. It just means that we have probably a transcription error or it could be a different kind. I would have to do some research. but It doesn't change God, though. It doesn't change God. And it doesn't change um, what we understand about this one who will be the anointed one to Christ. It doesn't change um, the nature of that person nor the, the uh, purpose of that one, that this one, the Son of Man, um, would be... Uh, have an enduring throne, right? So, so we need to understand all of those different things. What does it mean to have a throne? What does it mean to have a... Uh, Power, have, kingdom. Yeah, amen. a kingdom, uh, all of that kind of stuff. And that's why we, you know, want to, we want to unpack all of that uh, nuance. Um, so we're not going to particularly pick on that one this morning, but we're going to take a look at... Um, Ephesians, and so I always start out with the question: What's Ephesians about? Um, what's the the uh, the major theme in Ephesians? That, Jesus. <laughs> you know, you can you can answer almost everything in a Baptist church with Jesus and be right. So,
1: do
0: <laughs> Not really. What is what is Ephesians about? I mean, I. I picked a particular verse which I believe is the unifying um, thematic verse for Ephesians. It has to do with how we live. It has to do with... So what we would think of as Ephesians is an, an ethical type letter. It's about ethics. How do we live our life? Um, but there's a whole part that informs how we live our life that we need to understand first. Which we would... Um, see as knowing who we are in in Christ. So if any of you heard that phrase, in Christ, that phrase occurs a lot in the New Testament, um, over 130 times. It occurs, uh, I, I can't remember the exact count, but in Ephesians it's more than 30, just in Ephesians alone. So it's one of the major, um, if it's, if it's repeated that many times in such a short letter we need to pay attention to what that's about because the author wants us to understand who we are in christ and then that should inform what we do how we live right that we would walk live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called so we need to understand who we are in christ we need to understand that calling and and that's what we want to look at today So, rather than uh, dwelling down on uh, some of the introductory things, let's jump into the the text this morning. So, this is the kind of breakdown that I would give for uh, the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters are all about your position in Christ, your identity in Christ. And um, we need to know that identity. You know, the author of the Psalm 89 Um, when he wrote that he understood his identity um, in Abraham right and that the promise to the Hebrew children was through Abraham and Abraham's son uh, Isaac and from Isaac's son uh, Jacob right and that Jacob had his name changed to Israel and then there were Uh, 12 sons of Israel, and that one of those, not the firstborn, was Judah. And so the the author of that psalm knew his identity as a Judean, a Jew, um, in Abraham. And they would fight over what that promise was to Abraham. And they still do today, by the way. So a lot of the fighting that's going on in the Middle East is about a promise made to Abraham and who was the rightful son. The, the son of promise, or the the firstborn, right? So that's what the battle is going on over there, and it's it's much more complex than that. But that's uh, you can kind of boil it down to that uh, very simply. What we have is we have an identity in Christ that Christ is actually the promise that was made to Abraham. Now. That is a very chock full statement. How is Christ the promise of Abraham? Right?
1: Yeah. Uh, because God said to Abraham that his seed would inherit the earth, not that his
0: seeds would inherit the earth, and that his seed is Jesus. Through his seed, the whole the whole world would, would be, be blessed. Mm-hmm. Right. So, three threefold part of the promise to Abraham. Mm-hmm. Promise was for. Uh, a people, God's people, those that God identifies as, as his, um, and I'll call those his chosen, his elect. We're going to look at that this morning. In God's place, in his kingdom, that his chosen people actually have a place where they live out their lives with God's presence. So people, place, and presence. That's how I organize the promise that was given uh, from God to Abraham. And that we understand that, that um, through Abraham's seed or descendant, um, and that happens to be singular, and Paul makes a big deal out of that being singular and not plural. Because if you actually looked at the lineage of um, Abraham, through Jacob, there's millions of, millions of folk, right? Probably more than millions, billions of folk, um, and they would call they, today they would identify themselves as the Jews, right? But this was actually all nations were going to be blessed through that descendant, and that blessing um, would come through the very presence of God. So God's people in God's place with His presence eternally. So that's how we as um, Christians in uh, 2015 identify ourselves with the promise that that wasn't just to the the physical descendants but it was to the spiritual descendants of Abraham. Those that, um, who Messiah came to redeem. Those that God chose and invites into his kingdom and uh, ultimately will commune with for eternity. We call that heaven, right? So a lot of theology in that, right? One statement. Um, And what we're going to see is that uh, Paul, the author of Ephesians, wants us to really clearly understand all the different nuances of that. He wants to give us theology 101 here. So this is basic Christian theology and Christian doctrine. He starts out and he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus... And I'm going to emphasize that the order there is reversed. A lot of times, we say Jesus Christ as a proper name, like I'm David Brown. Okay? Right? So my proper name, I have a, a given name and a certain. And uh, and you know, if I was really in trouble, my mother would use my middle name. Right? Oh okay. yes. Richard Brown, what did you do? And that's you know, kind of like the dog when the dog coward runs. You know, I don't want God using my. My uh, my given name that way, <clears throat> but a lot of times we think of the name Jesus Christ as the the given name and the surname, and that's not it at all. Rather, it's Jesus the Christ, Son of God. Right. And so when we looked at, at the Gospel of John, and we looked at John twenty thirty one, which is the thematic statement for John, Paul puts his themes up front. John puts his at the end or in the middle and uh, uh, when you look at that it says what does it say in John twenty thirty one? lots of things that he could have written but... but
1: these were written so that you may know that Jesus is the
0: Christ the son of God and that by believing in him you may have eternal life in his name yes so he wants us to know that Jesus is the Christ the son of God so he helps us understand what the Christ is a little bit Christ is a Greek word that um, is the, the Greek word for uh, Messiah in the Hebrew, which uh, can also be translated anointed, the anointed one. Right? And we just actually read that language when we read through Psalm 89 about the anointed one. <laughs> and that, that anointing is something where God is interacting in a very special way with a person. Right, and that there is a, a, a delegation and uh, an ordination that comes with anointing, and in fact, they would uh, the kings would be anointed with oil as a way of appointing them to their position as uh, administrators over God's people. So they were a delegated authority, and they were anointed to express that it was a delegated authority that there is a king in heaven and that that person on earth was an, anointed, to, delegated to be that king on earth representing the king in heaven. Well, there is one that is a king in heaven, right? Were, were prophets anointed? Prophets were also anointed. So you actually see actually, you see three uh, offices that anointing was uh, performed for well, I thought the prophets <clears throat> anointed the kings who anointed right. the prophets. Um, that's a good question. <laughs> right, the, the, the prophet before him. So who who uh, anointed Eli, Elisha?
1: Elijah.
0: Elijah. He passed his mantle. Right. Was so there was one prophet at a time. Pardon? It was one prophet at a time? No, there were times when there were multiple prophets, but just like the kingly uh, administration or office and the priestly administration or office um, there's, there was a, a passing that on <clears throat> so who is the real king Jesus the son of God so I would, I would trace that back to before there was an expression of the son uh, clearly given in prophecy it was God In fact, when uh, the people screamed out for a king because they wanted to be like the nations around them, God told Samuel, don't don't get too upset about this. They're not rejecting you and your leadership, your role as a judge and a prophet. They're rejecting me as the king. That's what they're doing. So there was one king, right? And that king... um, Delegates uh, rule, and in the case of uh, a family and a, a human descendancy, that would occur through the son, through the firstborn, typically, right? So the firstborn would have a special privilege in the family. They would get a, a bigger inheritance. It's not that the whole family didn't inherit. It's just that that one would have special, a special privilege. A special part, and um, what you read about Jesus as the Son of God is that He is the only begotten. Does anybody know what only begotten means? Some would say it's like or sometimes it, it talks about Him being the firstborn, and Jehovah's Witnesses will grab onto this and say, See, Jesus was a creator, a creation, He was a, a critter, just like we're critters, <laughs> He's not a creator and that he's the firstborn of that creation because I can read that in the Bible what's that talking about? it's talking about that inheritance it's not talking about um, being born first because we can do the math and figure out that well he was born in in, uh, 4, 5 BC um, and that means there was a whole lot of folk before him so he wasn't the firstborn (laughs) he wasn't born first But when it comes to um, his place in being the anointed and and delegated king, he is first. So in the the triune Godhead, um, he is the Christ, the anointed one. So even though he wasn't born first, he is firstborn. And the word only begotten has a further nuance to it. It means one of a kind. So it doesn't mean that there was a second in line. So I hate to tell you that Mormons got it wrong too. Not only did the Jehovah's Witnesses have it wrong, but the Mormons have it wrong because they would say that there, there's a whole bunch of gods. In fact, you can become a god and have your own kingdom.
1: Not me. Not, not women.
0: Not women. That's correct. You get to help populate that king. Yes. Yeah. So, so, see, it's like, okay, when I when I read the Bible, it just doesn't tell me that. It's talking about firstborn as um, a place in authority. Yep. It's telling me about um, one of a kind unique. There, there's none other like him. He is the only one that is fully God and fully man. And that's why John uses that word when he says in uh, John chapter 1, um, verse 18. I'll take you there real quick because this is important to read. This is the beginning or the end of the prologue and right after this starts John's gospel. It says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him, executed him. He's, He's the one who makes fully known God to us such that the revelation of God can have no misinterpretation if you want to know who God is you look at Jesus you look at the Son that's right and Jesus said that He said, if you've seen me you've seen the Father right so that's, that's all those nuanced words that's what that's about and so when Paul says that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus he's explicitly using that word order for a reason He's not saying the way that we would interpret it as Jesus Christ like a proper name. Rather, he's talking about the, the position of authority and that that position of authority is held by the only begotten, the one who is fully God, fully man. Who is the Christ. Pardon? Who is the Christ. He is the Christ. So sometimes we read Jesus the Christ and then sometimes they drop out the article and it becomes Jesus Christ and we think with the proper name... Paul wants us to understand no, he's an apostle of Christ, who is Jesus. That is the manifestation or the incarnation of the Christ um, to humanity. And that he is an apostle by the will of God. So, what does that mean, the will of God? Well, he didn't choose it, God didn't. That's right. So, it's hard to imagine within the Godhead <clears throat> subordination. Right? Because that's what's being implied here. That there is subordination within the Godhead. Equal, but with different... um, I'll be careful, but I'll use the word roles. Different responsibilities. Different ways of interacting with that which is not God. In other words, his creation. But fully God. And in no way less than God. Right, so subordination does not mean unequal. And we see the same thing when we look at the human family. Who was created first? Adam. Adam. What was he created from? Dirt. Right, so evolution is resolved. We're dirt clods, not pond scum. Right? So, (laughs) So we're created out of the dirt. Adam was created first. Eve was created from Adam. Which means that she's dirt too. We're all dirt clods. Um, but there is a, uh, an order, but not an inequality. And that's really important to understand. And in the Godhead, there is an order, but not an inequality. And you actually read about that like in Philippians. In Philippians uh, chapter 2, uh, I'm going to back up to uh, verse 5, but I'm going to read through here. It says, have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he, he didn't have to usurp God to become God. He was God. He was, it wasn't robbery. He wasn't taking anything away from God. It would be like stealing from himself. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. And being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What does it mean uh, though he was in the form of God? That he was... um, Well, he says that... um, Okay, so he's in the form of God. So we need to... Right, so there was a time before God created, <clears throat> so we understand time very literally, right? It's like, okay, you got first instant, and then a whole series of instants after that, um, and that eternity can made up of, be made up of an unending series of instances, right, of which, uh, I don't know if any of you have ever studied calculus, so I was, math was my undergraduate <laughs> degree, and I love I love calculus because calculus is the study of how close you can get to something without actually getting there. And if you know anything about me, you'd know why that excites me. There. So, that, um, there, there was a point where time did not exist. And then there was a point where time existed. And the instance between instances of time is eternal. So you have eternity in the presence of what we understand as a serial playing out of, of time sequentially, boggles the mind. <laughs> right? From nothing, God created everything that is, oh, including bang. <laughs> <Right>? well,
1: <that's laughs> it,
0: it it may have, it may have been a big bang. Not <laughs> nothing, it a big bang. It, God spoke, and, and
1: bang, the bang, universe <laughs>
0: was. <laughs> And I'll bet you that was, if you were there to observe that, which nobody was. Because we're was there? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. It would have been probably pretty loud and pretty odd. <laughs> It would have been a big bang. Um, but nonetheless, you know, what we can understand, what we can observe in general revelation informs us something about the, the nature and character of God. But it doesn't fully explain it. To fully understand God... You need to understand something about um, who he is, not just what he does, right? So you can look at creation and you can see what he does. You watch the sun come up, you say, wow, he's an incredible artist, you know? Um, of course, here you watch the sun come up and it's like, wow, it's incredibly gray. And a <laughs> color, you, know? um, you get above the clouds, you know, Bob's a pilot, you get above the clouds. It is so awesome when you poke through the clouds mm-hmm. and you see the, the big blue and you see the curve of the earth right? I mean when you look at look at creation it's like wow but that doesn't tell you who God is it just tells you what he did he wants you to know who he is and so that's, that's what Ephesians is about it wants to tell us who God is not just what he does and who you are in relation to him and you start with Christ Jesus and the will of God and you need to understand what that will is So the, the will of God this is that which is um, part of who he is he has a will and so I passed around a paper to kind of point out some of the different aspects of God's will and uh, we've got an extra one here so I can read it I list that there are, there are certain aspects of God's will that we want to understand. Because we want to understand how Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus. <clears throat> because we're going to understand that that will also affects us. So we're going to talk about a really complex um, topic, which we're going to call uh, election. See in verse 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So, we just talked in brief about the foundation of the world. We talked in brief about who Him is in Christ Jesus. Um, we haven't talked yet about choice because we, we need to understand will and the person of God before we can get to that. So, in kind of helping you unpack what the will of God is, um, I passed this around. Um, there, there are different aspects, or seven different ways that it's important to understand about the will of God first is what we call the decreed will of God so the decreed will of God is that which um, and I it's listed out here as a a definition it's that which cannot be moved it is going to occur that way and I'll tell you this is really important God said um, let there be light there was going to be light right that's his decree. He decreed it into existence. Mm -hmm. He made it that way, and there is no other way. And if you're a physicist and you study the nature of light, that becomes one of the constants of the universe. Right? So that's the decreed will of God. There is no um, kicking against the decreed will of God. Pardon you would find out that the decree is the windshield and the decree is, is uh, velocity and gravity and all those kind of things that are happening and momentum and what happens in force yeah you would understand newton's laws in an instant um and that's pretty scary too they aren't newton's laws or god's laws and newton never ascribed them to himself he ascribed them to god um But it's important when we understand certain things about our identity have to do with God's decreed will. For example, in the beginning, God created them, male and female. To reproduce according to their kind. Yes. And that there was a relationship that God decreed between the man and the woman. Right? So certain things work a certain way, and that's because God's decreed it by his decorative will. That's just it, folks. And you cannot redeclare something true just because you want it to be so. When God said, this is truth, it is truth. He is the creator of truth. Right? What he says is true. He is goodness. What he says is good is good. What he says is not good is not good. And that decorative will came into play with um, different kinds of will, in that we understand that there's a a, a perceptive will, uh, that which is given in the form of principles, but when God's perceptive will comes into play, there's also what we might call permissive will. And so I'm listing off different kinds of will here. You've got decorative will. You've got perceptive will, uh, which has to do with precepts. You have uh, desiderative will, which is that which God prefers. So he might prefer that you like white chocolate and macadamia nut. As opposed to milk chocolate chips in your cookies, yes. right? So that would be a desiderate will and, and, uh, or God's preference. And we see that in different kinds of uh, principles that we pull out of the Bible. So when you're looking at what are the eternal truths, the timeless truths, principles we pull out of the Bible, they have to do with these understandings of who God is and how he's expressing his will to humanity. And when you get down to permissive will, this is what God allows even though um, it's against his decorative will. So some things you cannot do anything about. Gravity, you cannot do anything about. If you jump out of the airplane <coughs> at 33,000 feet, you probably will die not because of gravity, but because of the lack of oxygen and the extreme cold before you get to the point where you're warm enough and you can breathe to you know, let gravity take over. But... Um, Those are things you can't do anything about. You cannot violate that physical law. Right? And just like when God said, if you sin, you will have no life in you. You will die. So guess what? Everybody dies. That's that's decreed. In fact, we read about that in Hebrews 9.28. It says, it is appointed once for a man to die. Now there's a whole bunch in that. When you look at that decree, it doesn't say, oh, you get to die and come back as another person, so reincarnation is not part of that, right? No, this is the way God created it. He made you unique. I I like to tell my kids they're unicues. They're unique. And that everybody from the beginning... From the very first person until today, every person is unique. And it's not like a snowflake. You know, we say, yeah, snowflakes are unique. That's because we can't differentiate um, in our head all the differences that could possibly occur. So we say, oh, well, they're they're unique because of the billions and billions of ways that these things combine. Ultimately, the way that the laws in the universe work, two snowflakes are going to be alike. But guess what? No two people are going to be alike. You're unique. Um, And that you operate according to certain laws. You can't change that. But you can um, kick against that in certain areas. So today in our popular culture, uh, people kick against this all over the place. Um, We have gender redefinition. And it just amazes me um, how we're trying to be so accommodating um, that we've actually gotten to the point where people are totally confused now. Um, my wife Karen works in Portland Public Schools. And what are the different classifications that people, when they, when students take a, um, a survey, they get it, you know, choose <coughs> what they are and who they are, whether you're male, female, um, deciding, <laughs> um, questioning, you no know,
1: transgender, transgender,
0: um, yeah, you know, I mean,
1: um, questioning,
0: yeah, I mean, questioning. Okay, so you, you, you don't really know what you are. Like, no, no, no. God, God decreed that, but you you have a permissive will in that, right? So even though God decreed macadamia nut white chocolate is the is the best cookie, you have a choice in that permissive will, and you can choose milk chocolate chip.
1: And there's oatmeal raisin.
0: And then of course there's oatmeal raisin. Does not have any chips at all. Um, but but there are different kinds of understanding of God's will. And we want to understand what those kinds of will are. So Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. What kind of will do you think that is, Alan? The, it was a draft. It was a draft. And what is a draft? Yeah. It's when God looks at God looks at Paul and said, "I want you," mm-hmm. and he, he, he really made it an
1: offering. Yeah. He yeah. I think it's a, it's a, a decree slash directive, well.
0: That's a very that's a very good observation. Because so to expand on that.
1: Uh because when God chooses you, he chose you. You don't
0: have a choice.
1: Right. But he chose you, you're gonna like he's like he says too, and why are you kicking against the goats? I right. you know, I um you are a chosen instrument of mine. Hmm. So that means that he's chosen, that's the way it is, he can't do anything about it, but he can walk in a manner worthy
0: or not which means like he could go that's right he, he could, could not be like go
1: because he's the one he's got to put it, God's not taking it to speak and put like this for him you know so he's right. um, understanding that he's been called by God he's doing the directive will of God which he's basing that off of the
0: perceptual will of God or his knowledge of the perceptual will of God right right so I, I, that, I think that is a very good observation it was uh decreed he was drafted um, for a very specific purpose Never was blind. <laughs> yeah he was he was called an apostle because he was sent to a group of folk just like us called the nations the, the Gentiles so we're Gentiles most of us um, and he was sent specifically to share this message this revelation of Jesus Christ to the to the nations But God chose him. He was drafted for that. Um, We understand that he could have decided and told God no. That would have been uh, within God's permissive will. He would have still been in that position, kind of like Esther, right? Esther was born for just such a time that she was in. She was, all of the events of her life led up to her being in the place that she was in and having the access that she had. And she goes to her uncle Mordecai and says, I don't want to do this. This is dangerous. And God said, well, or Mordecai said, well, God's going to accomplish that which he has decreed, whether you participate or not. Which is kind of interesting because then you think about Paul. Like, what would have happened if Paul decided, no, I'm not going to go... You know, mm-hmm. how, I wonder what that would have looked like. Maybe, maybe today, rather than reading the letters of Paul, we would read about the one who came after him and said, now see, don't be like Paul. <laughs> <laughs> he, might be the, he might be the object lesson for us. We don't know. I don't want to be the object lesson for disobedience. No. Right? So. Well, we do know mm-hmm. that it still would have happened. Still would have happened? And what's the it? Absolutely. What the, what's the it that would have happened? The the mission, the calling, the uh, uh, the message would have still gone out. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was going to say um, we are actually the object lesson for our children. We are. <laughs> so we are that
1: no matter what.
0: And and that's the scary part <laughs> yeah. because everybody's watching. By the way. You, you thought that nobody was watching. That's just not true. We don't live in isolation. That's just a lie that's in your head. Everybody's watching, so um, and especially your children, and they're very good perceivers, not necessarily good interpreters. So that's why we want to have good theology so we can help them interpret. Right? So that's not what I meant when I said that. Um, but we understand that Paul is an apostle of the Christ, who is Jesus by the will of God, and that it's both, that that was something that, Paul understood It's like, this is God's plan, it's going this way, he had a choice, Um, he could, uh, continue kicking, and screaming, and be an object lesson of disobedience, or he could be an object lesson in obedience, to the point of being shipwrecked, and scourged, and beat up, and left for dead, and, Um, bitten by snakes, and ultimately uh, thrown in prison repeatedly to the point where they executed him, right? right. that's an object lesson of a different kind, of what obedience looks like. That's what Paul's saying here. He's an apostle. In fact, he writes this in prison. By the way, this letter is written to us from prison. Mm -hmm. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus, and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Again, Christ Jesus. So he's writing to saints. Who in here is a saint? I see a couple of hands. I see a whole bunch of non-hands. So what, why is that?
1: Saints, is it one
0: who profess to be a follower of Christ? Right, so another um, way of understanding saint is it would be one who's holy, Right? And that's what scares us because we think that holiness means that we do everything right. Perfect. Perfect. Right? And Paul, by his own admission, uh, in, the, in the Philippians says, Oh, by the way, I haven't achieved perfection yet. <laughs> he says, um, But let's press on to the high calling in Christ. Right, so holiness doesn't have to do with being perfect as much as it has to do with being separated for perfection he would uh, it would be clear
1: that he, if that was true that you were perfect if you're um, a are, are saint then he would have no need to write any of this letter anyway because he's telling them you know this is how you walk or this is what it's about this is how you walk therefore a no matter
0: where, they, if they were already perfect, then they wouldn't need right. any of this. Right. But they're but they're the saints who are at Ephesus. They're the ones who have been set apart, and that idea of being set apart um, means that um, you're not just unique, you're actually, you have some kind of specialness about you. That everybody wants to be special. Everybody wants to be unique. And it's interesting, in trying to be unique, we all try to be like everybody else,
1: right?
0: And, uh... And trying to be special, we do all these unspecial things. But nonetheless, that's what these people are. They're um, saints or holy ones um, at Ephesus and that they're the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, we're going to come back to that because that, I think, isn't understood until you get further along in this letter. He gives then um, his the way that he greets people he says grace to you and peace from God our father and the Lord Jesus Christ so now he he reverses the the name order it's now Jesus the Christ instead of Christ Jesus and he uh, he starts with one of the, the major theological concepts that we need to understand grace grace to you And peace, right? Two things that we want to understand that he's going to unpack for us. What is grace and what is peace from God? I'm almost out of time. I'm going to uh, jump down a little bit. This actually is one long sentence from uh, verse 3 through uh, verse 14. And it's part of a prayer. So the way that um, Paul's writing this letter is he says, okay, this is who I am, this is who you are, I'm writing this to you. And then he prays for them. And this prayer has a three-fold format. The first part is what they call a doxology. It's, uh, It's bringing glory to God. It's praising God for what he has done. But in this doxology is foundational theology. So I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to challenge you with certain things to go away this week. When we come back next week, we're going to try and more fully unpack them. Grace to you and peace from God our our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us, in all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things in the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. A lot of words popped up in there. And the first one we're going to take on next week is this whole idea of uh, being chosen. And God's choice of us. And the one uh, tickler I I would give you to think about, it is God's choice of you, His choosing you that gives you any value that you have. And when you have value, you now have uh, obligation associated with that value. You have to do something with your value. So we're going to uh, start taking a look at this understanding of grace, this understanding of blessing. Um, and we're going to unpack that through what is some, some called the doctrine of election. God's choosing us before the foundation of the world. Let's go ahead and close here in prayer. Lord, uh, we thank you for the opportunity to come to your word. Lord, we truly want to understand your will and that Lord, um, as I have read the Bible and, and pondered and wrestled and uh, done the many exercises I have in reading, Lord, um, I've come to understand that um, what we call the law is really your will. We want to understand your will. Not from uh a a checklist of do's and don'ts but lord from an understanding of your heart understanding what grace is and and what your great love for us is and um, how you desire to commune with us lord and what that's an understanding of who you are and your will lord we we uh desire lord um I just ask that this week, as we move from here, that you'll just prick us to continually read through this over and over and over again, reading these words and pondering about the meaning of them, Lord, that when we come back together, we'll be able to question deeply, because that's how we learn, is by asking the questions, Lord, and I just ask that you would help us to, prod us to, to study, um, that we might ask those questions, and Lord, I thank you for this day and the business meeting that's going to occur later, for the message that uh, Bob will be um, delivering from the sermon. Lord, your words um, to your people, both to encourage them and edify them, but to also invite them into relationship with him. Lord, we thank you for that. ask that your spirit make that effective, as we know that you will. Lord, we thank you for your provision uh, for us, your protection of us and Lord your incredible sacrifice and service to us Lord we thank you for all of this Lord Jesus we pray in your name amen amen